Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us before we begin this morning. Father, we love you and we serve you and we come to you this morning thankful for all you've given to us, all you've done for us, all of the blessings of life that we um, have and that we experience on a regular basis, Father, are from you. Lord, I thank you for this day and for what this day means in our church, Lord, for the excitement of all these children. I pray that you would just speak to them and through them. Father, I pray you would just do a mighty work in their hearts. I pray for us now in this worship time, Father, as we study the Word, as we open the truth, the text of what you'd have us to see, Lord, I pray you'd speak clearly to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, today is different, in case you haven't noticed. (laughs) We decorate every... Oh, there's a snake here. I just noticed the snake. Wow, there's a snake right here. I don't think it's real. We decorate... Uh, for VBS every year on Sunday morning and we begin on Sunday morning because we want you to be a part of it. There are literally a few hundred children and youth in our building, our facilities on our campus right now and lots of adults that are working. There have been people here all week setting up. I love VBS because of the excitement, because of all that takes place. It's one of the biggest evangelistic weeks of the year at our church. And so every night this week, beginning tomorrow all the way through Thursday from I think 6 to 8.30, All these kids will show up, and VBS is kind of cool because it usually grows as the week goes. Friends invite friends, and more kids come, and by the end of the week, we're we're really slam-packed and doing the best we can to maintain all these kids and get them home. But I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things this week specifically. One is pray, because we have a lot of kids that will come to our campus that have been invited by friends that are not part of a church anywhere. Some of them, believe it or not, have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we get the opportunity this week, sometimes for the first time and maybe the only time for some of these kids to share the gospel of Christ with them. I'm going to ask you to pray for our leaders, for all those people that are involved, that the Lord would just speak through them very clearly, these precious little children. And the other thing I want you to do is to think about maybe a place of service. We are at a very good place at our church right now as we continue to grow. We continue to reach more and more people. we got a lot of kids that come each week. And we literally have very difficult discussions with the ministries of our church and with the staff in our church. How are we going to facilitate all these kids? What are we going to do with them? Because we want them to come. But I can't put them all here if I don't have leaders. So I want you to ask yourself a tough question. I want you to seriously pray through and consider this. Is the Lord calling you maybe to be a part of our children's ministry? Because we, we really need lots and lots more people. Because we don't want this just to be a babysitting service. We don't want to just bring these kids and show them a movie for an hour and a half and send them home. We want to disciple these kids. I'm going to talk this morning about discipleship. But children can't be discipled without leaders. And some of you guys have been here a long time and have never served in our preschool children's department. I want you to pray about that. The Lord doesn't call everybody to do it. I get that. But we need help. We're at a kind of a critical point in our church with all these kids that are coming and all the growth we're seeing. If we don't have more workers, at some point we're going to have to say to these kids, we just can't share the gospel with you tonight. And I don't want to get to that point. But I've got to have you to do it. I've got to have the people of this church to rise up and stand in the gap and serve these kids, teach these kids about Christ because the Lord's going to hold us accountable one day for what we do. And I want to be able to walk into the kingdom of heaven like you do and the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You were faithful with the small things and you've been faithful with the large things. And I think the Lord wants to continue to bless this church, but we need your help. So please, please, please be in prayer. If you have questions, come talk to me. Come talk to Philip. There are all kinds of needs and areas you can serve. But I'm going to challenge you to be a part of that. Now I want to think this morning for just a little while about a very simple question. It's a question I want you to ponder, and I'm going to kind of come back to it as we walk through this sermon and towards the end. We're stepping away from Genesis this morning because this is different, and a lot of our workers and a lot of our students and children won't be able to hear this sermon, so I didn't want them to have to skip a week in Genesis. We'll come back to that next week. But I want to begin with a question this morning I want you to consider. I want you to ask yourself this question. I'm curious. I'm I'm not going to be able to walk around and have people answer, but I'm just curious if you were to answer this question, what you would say. Here's the question I want you to think about, very simply. What is the goal of the church. I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about Rosemont. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the church at large. What's the goal of the church? If I walk around and ask every person, what's the church called to do? Who's the church called to be? I'm curious what your response would be. I had the opportunity this past weekend. Amy's actually, she's not here this morning. She's in a wedding in Atlanta. One of her old college roommates getting married for the first time. And so all the college girls got back together and had a great fun weekend. And we were part of that. And I came home late last night and she's up there this morning for the wedding. But we had the opportunity yesterday afternoon as the girls were doing their thing. The guys went to the NCAA College Football Hall of Fame. Any of you guys been to the Hall of Fame in Atlanta yet? Not one person. One person. Okay. One. That's good. You need to go. It's phenomenal. It's really well done. But as I walked around that Hall of Fame, there are all kind of cool things you can do. And, and, and you, when you walk in, you register your name. They give you this badge. And you register your favorite team. And everywhere you go, it picks up who your team is. And it tells you about your team. It's really well done. It's a neat place. But as I walked around that Hall of Fame, I kind of started thinking, you know, college football is, is an incredible game. And there are a lot of intricacies that go with college football. But in college football, there's kind of one goal. The goal of college football in the end is to do what? Win. That's what you're on the field to do. Now, there are a lot of other things that go with that, but I started thinking of as I was walking through that Hall of Fame yesterday. These folks didn't make it into the Hall of Fame because they came in last, did they? Now, there are lots of things we talk about, scholar-athletes and how you represent the university. All those things are important. I'm not, I'm not dismissing those things. But in the end of the day, if you don't win, you're fired in college football, right? If you don't win, you sit the bench. If we're not winning, we're going to kind of go a different direction. It's all based on wins and losses. We understand the goal of football. We understand the goal of sports in general. But what's the goal of the church? Well, churches have changed a lot in the last four years. In fact, if you were to kind of make a list, I listed a few things. The worship styles. Imagine how the worship styles have changed in the last 40 years. Imagine how the, the building designs have changed in the last 40 years. Imagine how different people are dressing when they come to church now. All sorts of things have changed in the last many years. But I would argue that if we don't do one thing very well, if we don't accomplish one simple goal that we're missing the point of why we exist... In fact, I believe that there are so many churches that fail to meet this goal that they're literally dying on the vine and they're not doing the things Christ has called them to do. Here's the goal of the church, and we're going to delve into this in just a few minutes. The goal of the local church, very simply, is to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. You say, wait a minute, I remember Matthew 28, and some of you are thinking, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, what does that say? I've got it right here, let me read it for you. Some of you remember Matthew 28 and you think about evangelism. And that's certainly part of it. 
Baptism is certainly a part of it. I want you to listen to kind of the, the verb that drives this whole text. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. The, the, the Bible tells us this. Go and, do you remember what it says? Make disciples. That's how it starts. It doesn't say go share your faith, although that's part of it. Baptism is in there, but it comes later in the passage. The whole, the whole drive of this is Christ leaves the earth, He ascends into heaven, He tells His followers, you need to go and make disciples. Now far too many churches focus on the kind of the second part of that verse. Here's what it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Far too many churches do this. They say, you know, we're going to look at that passage of Scripture and we're going to baptize people, but we're going to skip the part about making disciples. Why? Because that's, that's pretty messy. <laughs> that's pretty hard. We can count the number of people we baptize. That's a pretty simple process. We can talk about it. And again, I'm not, I'm not minimizing baptism. Don't hear me say that, please. Baptism is crucial to our faith. It's a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to baptize but the point of that passage is this. If all you're doing is baptizing and you're not discipling, you're not making disciples, you're kind of missing the point of not only what we see in Matthew, but what we're going to see this morning in Colossians. The church has got a real simple call, so you need to be asking yourself this question this morning. What does discipleship look like in your life as a believer? So take your Bibles and open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you are. One of the smaller books written by Paul sometime around 60 AD to the church at Colossae. Actually, we believe while he was imprisoned at Rome. And he's going to give us this kind of very interesting command in the, the latter part of the introduction there in chapter 1. So Colossians chapter 1. Paul's kind of been talking about in the first part of this text, in this first chapter, the idea of the supremacy of Christ. The importance of Christ, the importance of the local church and all that the local church is supposed to do. And then he makes this very interesting statement in verse 28 and then he kind of concludes in verse 29. I think we've got the text on the screen for you this morning. Here's what Paul says. We proclaim Him. Now he's talking about Jesus again. I don't have time this morning, but this whole first chapter has been about Christ and His church, the body of Christ. So he's made this whole argument for the church and this whole argument for the body of Christ. And so when he says, we proclaim him, we're talking about Jesus. So we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now let me read that again. I want you to listen to what he's saying. We proclaim him, this is Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that... There's a reason we're doing this. We may present everyone perfect in Christ. And then he goes on to verse 29 and say, This is the reason I'm struggling. This is the reason I'm laboring. This is what I'm giving all my energy for. So I can teach people and train people about Christ so they can be perfect in their walk. Now embedded in this one little verse, I think is a real simple pattern, a real simple model that we can examine and understand what discipleship ought to look like. So there are three things in this verse I want you to see this morning. We're going to delve into them, walk through them, and I pray that this becomes, as every sermon does, more than just words on a page for you. I pray the Lord speaks to your heart about this. I pray the Lord challenges you to become more and more a part of this process at Rosemont. Here's truth number one found in this text. Mature believers must, must be teaching younger believers about Christ. Mature believers must be teaching younger believers about Christ. 
Christ. Now, I know you probably don't remember this, but the very first sermon I preached in January this year was kind of a vision sermon. I cast a little bit of vision for our church. And I gave three different areas. And by the way, it's still on the website. You can go listen to it again if you'd like. I gave three different areas that this coming year in 2015 now need to be areas that we focus in. One was in service and in missions. And I said that just a minute ago. We still need to put more people to serve. As we continue to grow and reach more people, we're going to need more leaders, more people to step up and to serve. I talked about increasing in service, increasing in missions, and you'll be excited to know we've got a record number of people at our church right now doing mission work. Some of that is overseas. A lot of that is local. One of the things I said a couple years ago about missional living is that we ought to begin to do local ministries in our community, local missions in our community, and I as the pastor kind of ought to hear about them after they're already taking place. That's exactly how it ought to be. It shouldn't be the job of the staff to say to everybody, hey, go start this ministry. The Lord can direct you. And so we've had people do that. We've got some incredible ministries that are going on now locally. We've got Mission LaGrange coming up. So, so we're certainly growing in our area of service and in missions. I talked about this year the idea of growing in physical space, and we are working very hard to do that. We've got a team of people that's been meeting now for over a year, praying. We've had an architectural team come in, take a look at our entire facility, help us understand where we are, where we need to go. We're we're just about ready to kind of present that idea to the church because we need more space on all levels. But the third thing I said we ought to be thinking about this upcoming year is growth in discipleship. And I said to you, I ought to be able to walk around to every person in this church and I ought to be able to ask you this question. Who are you discipling? And you should be able to give me a name. And so I kind of took that to heart. I, I, I was serious about that. I didn't say that and then just set it aside and forget about it. So I took the challenge personally. I took the challenge next to our staff and I started talking to our staff about it. I started explaining to our staff the importance of what we're doing and holding our staff accountable. So now every staff meeting we have, we go around the room and every staff person says to me again, the person they've been discipling, and then they explain to me exactly what that process looks like. Yeah, we met last week, we were working through this book, or we prayed together, we talked through this issue. So our staff is now discipling somebody, every staff person. The next thing I did is I took it to our deacons. Our deacons are now in the process of working through this. In a few months, I'm going to stand in front of our deacons. We did this last deacons meeting. But I'm going to stand in front of our deacons and every man in that room is going to be able to tell me I'm discipling this person. We meet on a weekly basis, monthly basis. We pray together, whatever it looks like. And I, I haven't, I've told them, you can do it however you want to, but you ought to be discipling somebody. And so the next challenge now is for the leaders of our church, you guys. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you serve in Awana or all the different things that are going on this morning, you ought to be able to answer this question very simply. Who are you discipling? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been a Christian for more than just a few years, you ought to be teaching somebody else about Christ. Now this verse gives us kind of two very clear pictures, two very clear positions we ought to take with this idea of teaching. Look again with me at Colossians 1 verse 28. We proclaim Him admonishing and teaching everyone. You see that? So there's this sense that Paul's saying, look, as the leader, he's writing to the leaders in this church, leaders, and he's holding himself accountable as well. We ought to be teaching everyone about Christ. We ought to be teaching them about how to walk with the Lord. We ought to be teaching them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But watch this. This is important. This is an important part of discipleship. In order for discipleship to actually work, you need kind of two components. You need a teacher and you need a learner, 
Right? So you need this mature believer who's been walking with Christ for a number of years. Maybe you say, I'm a mature believer, right? And I, I, I've kind of walked in my faith for a number of years, and I understand how it looks to live a Christian life. I understand what it looks like to have a Christian marriage. I understand what it looks like to kind of lead other people. And so I, I ought to be discipling somebody. Well, you ought to find somebody. You ought to go to that person and just say to them, look, would you mind? And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You can say something simple like this. Listen, I thought it would be neat for you and I to meet for lunch occasionally. Can we do that? Let's just sit down and have lunch. We'll just eat together. You say, ah, what am I going to say? Am I going to preach a sermon? You don't, have to, you don't have to prepare anything. Just kind of speak into the life of that young person. Just kind of speak truth into that person's life. Because we need somebody that's willing to teach, that's mature. And we've got to find somebody now that's willing to listen to me. And you'll be surprised, mature believer, if you've been a believer for a number of years, you'll be surprised at the number of people that are Christians but have never really been trained in their faith. You say, what do you, what do you mean trained in their faith? Well, there's a, there's a college student at our church. I'm not going to give you his name, although he wouldn't mind if I did. But he's been gone a couple of years now. He was back in town a few weeks ago, and he and I had lunch together. As we had lunch together, he's just talking about all his growth. Now, this is a kid that grew up in church. He was here at our church for a number of years. Godly parents. All the things you would expect a family to do. Good home. All, all the things that he learned in school and church. And, and he was right there. He, he did all the things we would expect him to do. But he said something to me. He said, as I've been away at school these last couple of years, he said, I've grown tremendously in my faith. He starts telling me all how he's growing and all the things he's learning and how the Lord's beginning to, to work in his life now and he's pushing him toward full-time mission work, which is so cool. And so we see this picture of this kid now who grew up in this church, but all of a sudden when he went away to school, things are changing for him. He's learning. I said, okay, what's happening in your life that's making such a difference now that you've grown up in church, but now you're telling me that you're learning so much more than your college? He said, it's real simple. He said, the first month or so that I was at school, I had a senior walk up to me, another senior guy, and strike up a conversation. And as we started talking more, it turns out this guy was a believer. And this Christian senior said to this young freshman who just come in, said, hey, have you ever been discipled? And this kid said, I don't, I don't know. What does that mean? And the guy said, well, let's start meeting together and start talking and start praying. And so for the last two years, on a very regular basis, this kid has met with this older guy who's been discipling him. He's been training him. He's been teaching him. He's been leading him. So you've got this young student now who grew up in church and learned a lot about Christ. He wasn't, he did not know about Jesus. But now that he's got this mature believer pouring into him, speaking truth into his life, he's grown tremendously. And I just wonder how many more young believers, how many more immature believers need somebody to pour into their life, to speak truth into their heart so that they can grow. You say, okay, I get that, right? So there's this idea that we should take a, just a one person or a small group and, and pour into that person. You say, but, okay, so this is what Paul says in Colossians. Are there other examples in Scripture, you ask, of pouring into kind of one-on-one or a small group to disciple? Are there other examples we can point to? Well, yeah, how about Christ? <laughs> you remember Jesus now, he had this incredible ministry of all these people. Thousands of people that followed him and all the miracles that he did and the food and all the things that took place. But if you remember and you begin to really study the life of Christ, he really poured into 12. He had his disciples that followed him. And of that 12, there was kind of a smaller group of three that he spent his life with. So he spent two and a half to three years with these men and they would watch him teach. 
They would watch him preach. They would question him. They would would eat with him. They would travel with him. They spent all their time with Jesus. And because they spent their time with him and he discipled them, when he ascended into heaven, guess what his plan for the rest of the world was? It was through these 12 disciples. Have you ever considered the truth that Jesus didn't have a plan B? I mean, his plan, now just think about this. His plan to reach the billions of people that are now on this planet and the the billions that will be in the future started with these 12 guys. That was it. He said, guys, I'm going to disciple you. And then when I'm gone, you've got to now, guess what? You've got to now disciple other people. And as you disciple other people, they'll begin to disciple and they'll begin to disciple and then we'll just grow the church worldwide. That's exactly what happened. But here's the problem. We've taken that model in our current time and we've set it aside. We've set it aside for several reasons. Probably we're too busy. Probably we like microwave faith, right? I mean, once a week, Adam, are you serious? I just don't, uh uh-uh. Can I fill out a book and fill out a questionnaire and be discipled? Can I do it that way, right? Can I do an online survey? We like this fast kind of discipleship. But I think the other reason we don't do it, for whatever reason, is too many of us don't understand the truth of the Scripture. It's not really an option for us. We don't, we don't have this option where we say, you know, I, you know, I think I'll pick something. Is this a la carte, right? I'll, I'll kind of pick the part of my faith that I like and somebody else can do this. this. Discipleship is for somebody else, but it's not for me. That's not the teaching of Christ. That's not the teaching of Scripture. We see over and over and over again that discipleship was foundational to the growth of the church in the early centuries. I believe it's still foundational to our growth in Christ now. You say, great. All right, so there's this model in Colossians. We should be teaching people, but what does that teaching look like? Look again with me at verse 28. Let's just walk right through this text. So we proclaim Him admonishing and teaching everyone, those next three words are important, with all wisdom. See that? Here's the second truth. we got to teach with wisdom. How do you teach with wisdom? Well, you need somebody that's wise (laughs) to teach somebody that's unwise. Now, the Jewish people in the first century would have understood this very simply. Because they had a model of discipleship. Then they didn't really call it discipleship. But it was this idea of kind of falling under the teaching of a rabbi. So these early century Jewish people that converted to Christianity understood this model. And the idea of the, the rabbi model would be, I'm going to com- commit my entire life to this rabbi. I'm going to follow him around. I'm going to eat with him. I'm going to talk with him. I'm going to ask him questions. I'm going to kind of live my life with him. I'm going to totally submit myself to his leadership. And over the course of several years, I'm now going to learn from him and grow in my walk. And here's kind of the kicker. Here's the important part of this model. After I've been discipled by this rabbi, now I'm going to go and disciple somebody else. See how the model works? You say, I'm I'm kind of mature in my faith. or I've been a believer for a number of years. Maybe the Lord wants to use me. Maybe the Lord wants to use me to disciple somebody, but I, I just can't believe, here's what somebody would say, I just can't believe I've really got anything to teach them. I, I can't believe they don't already know this stuff. You're thinking to yourself, I mean, this is simple, elementary kind of stuff, right? I don't know why I would really waste anybody's time teaching them things they already know. Let me just give you some truth just for a second. If you've been a believer for a number of years, there are lots and lots and lots of younger believers that don't know anything like the amount of knowledge you know about Scripture. They don't understand how to live life for Christ. 
They may not understand what a Christian marriage looks like. They may not understand how to, how to live at work for Jesus. They need somebody that's wise, that has wisdom to pour into their life. Let me give you a prime example. I have uh, this spring season the opportunity to grow a garden in my backyard. Now, I've said this before to you. I don't grow gardens very well. In fact, I'm poor at growing gardens. I've tried. And so Mr. Wendell Lover, Mr. Wendell and Miss Emily have helped me, and Billy Thompson has helped me. I say help me, they've kind of done most of the work, because if I did it, it wouldn't be working. So they came and kind of tilled it up. And I, wanna, I, I just listed a couple of things that I, that I learned here. Now, for you, you're going to laugh at me, but I'm, I just, I'm being dead level. I want you to understand, I'm being honest with you. My understanding of gardening... So I was told before we did anything in the soil, we should pour lime onto the soil to prepare it. Had no idea. How many of y'all knew that? Seriously. How many of you did not know that? See? So here's something else. This was, this was brilliant to me. I mean, I, I, didn't, I, didn't understand, I didn't understand gardening, but when they came in, <laughs> this is going to sound so elementary to you, they did these rows... And they left enough space between the rows so we can walk between them and even get a tiller between them and till up all the other stuff. The, the times I've done it, my rows have been this close together and everything's just growing together and there's grass everywhere and I don't know, a weed from a tomato, from a pepper, and I'm pulling everything. That's brilliant to me. Let's put them three feet apart. I had no idea. You say, Adam, how can you be so dumb? Nobody ever taught me. How was I supposed to know that unless somebody that understood how to make this thing work came into my life and said, have you ever thought about putting the rows three feet apart so you can walk between them and, and weed them? No. <laughs> Maybe you as a mature believer need to walk into somebody's life and say, hey, young believer, have you ever thought about having prayer with your family before you go to bed? You know what some mom will say? No. I, used, I never thought about that. Have you ever thought about leading your family in a family devotion? No, I never, I never thought about that. Have you ever thought about treating your wife in this way and saying these things to her when you come? No, I've never thought about that. Now to you, that stuff may be elementary, but to so many followers of Christ, they've never been taught. They've never been trained. And so Paul says, we need to be teaching these people. But when we just teach them anything, we teach them with wisdom. And I promise you something. Don't look down on you. Some of you right now, I'm telling you, some of you right now are thinking, I don't have anything to say. If you love the Lord and have loved Him for a number of years, you do have something to say. You do have something to share. And there are plenty of young believers that given the chance would soak up everything you could teach them. Imagine the difference you could make in their lives. So where does this lead? So we get this sense all of a sudden now that we ought to be teaching, right? So Paul says we're going to teach. Pull the verse up again if you would for me, please, Kevin. Not only are we going to teach and admonish and proclaim and we're going to teach about Christ, we're going to do it with wisdom. We're not going to be foolish about it. We're not going to have young believers teaching. We want mature people that understand their faith. We want them to teach with wisdom. But here's the second part, and this is the key to this verse. Why are we doing these things? Why do we need to teach? Why do we need disciples? Why do we need older, more wise people to teach younger people? So that, you see, that is the key to this verse. We're doing these things so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Here's truth number three. 
If the older, more wise people, more mature people disciple the younger people, truth number three, we are perfected in Christ. You should read the book of Ephesians. I don't, I don't have time to get into it this morning. But the end of the book of Ephesians talks about maturity and growth and being built up in the body so we can present ourselves perfect to Christ, so we can mature in our faith so we can grow up in our walk. I'm amazed, and again, I, I, I fall into this category sometimes like you do. I'm amazed sometimes when I talk to people at the things they don't understand. And we look at a young believer and we think, you know, why, why are they living their life like that? Because they're not mature in their faith. Nobody has ever taken the time to pour into them, to teach them with wisdom and to train them so this person can be perfected in Christ, so this person can be matured in Jesus Christ. One scholar explained it like this. A spiritually mature believer can discern whether something is from the Lord or from the flesh. And by the way, the ability to do that is huge in our walk. He can detect the working of the flesh and judges it immediately. He refuses to allow it to get a grip on him. An immature Christian will not recognize the flesh when it presents itself. He's not aware of the spiritual equipment God provides to combat the flesh As he grows in grace, he will be able to identify the dangers that lurk in his life and know the principles with which to deal with them. If he does not know the dangers, he is in serious trouble. And if he does not know God's principles for dealing with them, he's in trouble. Right? The idea is that if if you're an immature Christian, you probably don't understand some of the things you can use to combat these decisions. You probably don't understand how to make a wise choice. You may not understand how to live your life for Christ, but there are mature people in our midst. There are mature people in our church that understand and can help you. So here's what you need to begin to do. Here's kind of the application for you. If you're a mature believer, then I'll just say it like this. And this, this is, this, there's no definite reason to say it like this. It's just an easy number to think about. If you've been a believer more than about 10 years you ought to be mature enough in your faith that you can come along somebody that hasn't been. And so I'm going to challenge every one of you to do something. I'm not going to walk around the room and ask you yet. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you. Find somebody you can disciple. It can be as simple as a phone call. Hey man, listen, or, or, or ladies, y'all call a girl. Listen, I'd love to eat lunch with you. Can we go to lunch? I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. You get to lunch and you say, listen, I just feel like the Lord's kind of called me to, to speak to you. I don't have anything specific I want to say to you. I just wanted you to know I care about you. I want to pray for you. You know, I've been married for X number of years and I've got two or three children. And I understand that you've got a, a small family, a young family. Is there anything I can help you with? Anything you'd like to know? Maybe I can answer some questions or help you, assist you. You'd be amazed. Yes. <laughs> yes. In fact, I was just wondering this the other day. But in order for that to happen... You've got to kind of step out on faith and begin that process. Now, if you're an immature believer, and there are plenty of people that are, if you haven't been a Christian for a number of years, or you may say, you know what, Adam? I've been a Christian for way more than 10 years, but I don't feel like I know anything about the Bible. I've never been trained, and you know, I learn a lot in church, but there's so many questions I have. Then you take it upon yourself to find somebody you believe is mature and ask them to disciple you. Just reverse the process. Call them, hey, Mr. So-and-so. I know you don't know me very well. I'm at, I'm at Rosemont and I see you sometimes. But listen, I'm, just, I'm younger in my faith and I'm, I'm trying to grow a little bit. 
I'm trying to walk with the Lord with my family and, and my children and at work. And I'm not quite sure how to do it. I know you've been a believer for a number of years and I have a great amount of respect for you. Could we go to lunch one day? And just let me ask you a few questions. And just jot down 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 questions you want to ask this person. Just let them pour into your life. It, it could begin that simply. Maybe you do that a few times and you decide, hey, we're going to read a book together. We'll just read the same chapter each week. Come back at lunch and we'll talk about it. Maybe we're going to read through a book of the Bible. Maybe we're going to study this thing together. It doesn't really matter what you do. The idea is that you take the time to pour into the life of a younger believer so you can teach them with wisdom so they can be perfected in their walk with Christ. So where are you this morning? Are you the mature believer that ought to be pouring into the life of a younger believer? Are you a younger believer that ought to be asking for a mature believer to help you and to teach you and to train you? Because watch this. I'm going to finish with this. Stay with me. Class is almost over. Y'all folding your books up. I've taught long enough. I know how it works. I've got five more minutes, so give it to me, okay? Five minutes. I'm not going to take that long. See, now I lost my train of thought. I was right there. See what happens when you fold your Bibles? I shouldn't have folded my Bible. I should have, let me open my Bible back up so we can still stay in the Word right here. The Lord's called you to walk with Him. Okay, we're called to be the body of Christ. We're called to walk along beside each other, to help each other, to love each other. And you need to be plugging into other people's lives. And God's doing incredible things at our church. Incredible things. But we've got to have a foundation of discipleship if it's going to keep going. Do you understand that? All the new people that we have coming in, all the young believers, all these young children, we need a foundation of discipleship. And we can't do that until the leaders of our church step up and disciple. So who are you going to disciple? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. It's always so clear when we take the time to study it. Father, there's no, there's no doubt about what your word says. The only doubt is are we going to be obedient? That's a difficult question. So, Father, I pray you would be with these leaders of our church, Father, these people that have been believers for a number of years. I pray you would give them, first of all, just the confidence that they can do this. Or that they can pour into the life of a younger believer. I pray you would just encourage them to find somebody they can teach and train and minister to. I pray for younger believers, they would find the courage to call maybe a more mature believer, Lord. And to spend time just asking questions. And I pray this process of discipleship would just kind of happen naturally. And Father, I pray when we do that, we would learn about you. We would learn wisdom. And we would be made perfect and more mature in our walk. For your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open if you want to come and pray. Maybe you need to pray about your walk and your role in discipleship. Maybe you want to pray about who you can disciple. Or who's going to disciple you. Maybe you want to join the church or maybe you want to repent of your sins for the first time ever and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. But this is your time to respond. You come as we sing. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.